he takes after his dad, whose name was Winston, whose real name was Mr. Broccoli. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Well, hey there. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast that discusses more acronyms than I know what to do with the Rossafari Podcast. Today's episode is a pretty special one for me, and I'm excited to get to it. But first, some quick housekeeping stuff. Don't forget the Patreon. You can visit www.patreon.com slash Rossafari to find ways to support the podcast by becoming a patron. There are a bunch of levels of support, and each level has cool perks associated with it. Please consider becoming a member, as having patrons will ensure my ability to continue to make the podcast and keep it ad-free. Also, check out the merch at rossafari.redbubble.com. At Rossafari on Insta and Facebook is the place to be for cool pics and such. And rossafari.com is the official website of the Rossafari podcast exciting stuff. Also, as a side note, every time I say a URL with a slash in it, I picture Slash, the red panda I adore at Elmwood Park Zoo. After hearing this, I hope you do too. And speaking of red pandas, today's episode is full of them, but not in the way you're used to from this podcast by now. Probably the most common fan request I get is to do an episode on how AZASSPs work. For those that are new to the podcast, SSP stands for Species Survival Plan. The Association of Zoos and Aquariums, known as the AZA, oversees this plan for multiple species. The idea behind it is to ensure a healthy and genetically diverse population of the species in question, which is accomplished through tracking the genetics of each animal, as well as their location, temperament, and other things, through a series of surveys. The information is then compiled into a stud book, and breeding recommendations are made. Seems simple enough, but there's actually a ton that goes into it. So today, I'm bringing you an interview with someone who can really explain it thoroughly. Sarah Glass runs the Red Panda SSP for the AZA, and is also a zookeeper and curator at Zoo Knoxville. And this interview focuses on her work with the SSP, helping to explain the inner workings of one of the most complex SSPs out there to all of you but there is also so much more. Simply put, if you work with red pandas, or are a huge nerdy fan of red pandas like me, you know Sarah Glass. She understands these animals deeply, and she knows them. As you listen to this interview, you're going to hear her mention a bunch of pandas by their names and locations. Keep in mind, these aren't the pandas at her zoo. She really manages to retain much of the population of pandas in her head at all times, knowing their names, their offspring, and even their personalities. 
I admit that I nerd out pretty hard when it comes to knowing the names and locations of a lot of the pandas I've seen in my life, but Sarah has me beat. When you're listening to the interview, notice how casually she drops names and facts about pandas. It's astonishing. Some people seem like they were born to do a specific task, and Sarah Glass is one of those people. She is the queen of red pandas. Anytime I have spoken to a panda keeper and have heard our story about a time they didn't know what to do, the story always has a line like, So then I called Sarah Glass, and she said... The coolest thing is that, despite all of this, Sarah is a very humble and actually really funny individual. Like I said, this episode is all about the Red Panda SSP and how SSPs work in general. That said, hang on until the very end, because after we talked through all of that, I had Sarah introduce us all to the six pandas currently living at Zunoxville. She breaks down their personalities, their future plans, and, of course, she ends it all with a Rasafari poop story. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Sarah Glass of Zoo Knoxville. Tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. Uh, my name is Sarah Glass. I work for Zoo Knoxville. I'm currently the curator of uh, red pandas and ambassador animals and a few other small misfit creatures that fit nowhere else. And in addition, I'm also the SSP coordinator for uh, AZA Regional Red Panda Program. Awesome. So obviously we're going to be talking about red pandas today, but as I love to do, I love to start with a question not about the animal that we're going to talk about. I understand that you uh, care for a pretty famous elephant shrew. Ah, uh, yes. Tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> So Cranberry is, and actually I will, in honor of where she came from, her official name was Giblet because okay. she was born on Thanksgiving. Nice, nice. So shout out to Giblet's former keepers. Um, Cranberry came to us to be part of a breeding program, but unfortunately, uh, shortly after the moves were made, that program was scrapped, which I can understand because they are uh, not endangered. And there, there is space need for things that um, need a little more work. But yeah, Cranberry has always um, lived quietly over our Ambassador Animal Building. And then at the beginning of all the lockdowns in March, we felt we needed to have some fun. So we took some videos of Cranberry so we could share her fabulousness with the world. And she's become a bit of a hit with some certain Facebook groups. That's awesome. I love that so much. <laughs> um, so, okay, let's get right to the red pandas here. Okay. Now, I know that you are a humble person, so you're going to hate this part. <laughs> but Sarah Glass is a legend amongst red panda people. Um, and and so much of, of the work and the understanding of what we do we know about breeding red pandas successfully and taking care of red pandas successfully come from your knowledge and Zoo Knoxville and, and your brain. Almost every time I talk to a red panda keeper, they tell me that you inspire them. And I just wanted to tell you that. And I, I know you, that. I know you hate it a little bit. I can see it in your face. We will move on, but I would feel remiss if I didn't say it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's quite cool. Thank you for, for talking to me. So, Tell me about how you got into taking care of red pandas. So I started out here at the zoo 29 years ago as a volunteer. 
and my background is in research psychology. So I started out helping what was then the conservation research department with um, an elephant study they were doing and um, a chimp introduction. I'm sure you've met Lou, our almost 30-year-old chimp now. Yes, yes. He was an infant then, and we were trying to work <laughs> him into back into his group. And uh, when a position became open in conservation research to uh, care for pandas and be a research assistant, I was hired for that. Before that, the pandas had been scattered around the zoo, and Greta McMillan, who was my boss at the time, had received a grant to pull all the pandas under her purview and to do some behavioral studies and some um, look at maternal care behavior and look at nest box design and um, things that back then would have been a whole lot easier if we had things like, you know, really good cameras. And right, right, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was uh, I was hired originally for that. And then Greta had always been involved with the Red Panda SSP. Um, Miles Roberts and Frank Cohen were in charge of it at the time, and Miles Roberts is really sort of the panda guru who has in, really set the program up for where it is now. Um, he was the one who started the program. And so, and we've had pandas here since 1978. We were some of the first ones to get pandas from National Zoo when they started sending them forth to repopulate <laughs> the world. Right, right. Um, introduce everyone to red pandas because this was before the time of the internet. Um, so I started working with them then and then I've just, they've while I've added things or other areas have come in and out underneath me, um, the pandas have always stayed. That's, that's incredible. That's, I mean, that's longer than I've been alive. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, so how many pandas do you have here right now? We currently have six. We have Deegan and Gansu, who are our breeding pair. Um, then we have uh, three of the four kids left from last year's Passel. Um, we are trying desperately to get uh, Linda, I'm sorry, Tia and Marvin out to Totfus, but the joys of traveling in COVID. Right. And then we have Lincoln, who will probably be here forever. He's kind of a special boy that just doesn't, he doesn't like change. So he will be here. He's been here since he was three months old and he is now, oh gosh, eight. Wow. Okay. Very In my cool. mind, he's still, you know, two, but <laughs> so we have six and we'll be going down to, um, we're actually going to be swapping our males. Uh, with Potter Park and then bringing Spark, who was born here years ago, back. So I have to tell you mm -hmm. that um, I'm from Philadelphia, mm -hmm. and when I first like moved there, because I, oh, I, yeah, I'm from there Spark. now, I know Spark, <laughs> and I, when COVID is over, I'm coming down here. And I'm bugging you until I can hang out with Spark because that girl, I was I was there the day that the Cubs first came out when um, when she had uh, Ping Jing and Yaren, mm -hmm. um, who I know are now out in uh, I think it's Charles Paddock out in uh, mm -hmm. California. Um, I love that girl, and I, I when I saw that she was coming here, I got very excited. She's very feisty. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm pretty pretty stoked <laughs> that that she's going to be hanging out with another feisty panda lady I know, yep. Sarah Glass. <laughs> um. Very cool. Very cool. So the, the focus of this episode is really going to be your work with the SSP. Um, anyone who has listened to this episode knows about 
the Species Survival Plan through the AZA, uh, but we've never really talked about how it works in detail. So I would love to talk to you. I would love for you sure. to just tell me um, how that works. So ours is a little more involved than some, just based on how our animals reproduce. So you are required by AZA to do a master plan every three years because red pandas are seasonal breeders and they have a shorter window of breeding time. Well, the males, they can go on until they die, but the females, you've got about six good years. So we actually do plans every single year. And uh, at this point, we're almost doing two per year, one to set up for breeding and then one to place cubs. So we actually had a meeting um, in August to set up the pairs for this year. And we'll be meeting again um, end of February for finalizing placement of cubs that were born this past summer. So and what's interesting with our SSP is that we're also part of um, a GSMP, which is a global species management plan. Okay. So, and as I'm sure your folks know, zoos love acronyms. <laughs> so WAZA, which is the World Association of Zoos and Aquariums, <laughs> Uh, about eight, ten years ago, sort of looked at what all the different regions in the world were doing. So just like we have SSPs here, Europe has EEPs, um, Australia has SSPs. There's managed breeding programs all over. So they looked for species that um, were being managed in all the regions and said, hey, how about you guys form sort of a formal overview global program? So we have worked with all of those regions before. Um, so we were sort of a test GSMP along with, I think, tigers. And there was another one. I wish I could remember it. Um, and so we met uh, in Rotterdam because Angela Gladstone is the international stud bookkeeper and has been since before Miles. Um, so that we could look at managing things on a global level. So what that means is um, we work with all the different regions. We all work independently, but we look at the population as a global population. So when we do our master plans and we're looking at the genetics, um, we look at the global population first and make matches that are best for the global population. And then we go down to managing at the regional level. So, what that means is we've had, and, and we're also the only region that manages both subspecies or species, depending. Sure, there's a lot a whole, of debate. Yep. A lot of debate going on right now. At this point, I'm just going to stick my fingers in my ears and say they're <laughs> subspecies. Um, that being said, we still don't interbreed them, but um, we're the only one that deals with both. So we deal with every single region. Um, and so, for example, that's led for us to doing transfers with Japan for the refulgens and then transfers with New Zealand for the fulgens. And we're actually getting ready to hopefully, um, fingers crossed, send about six to seven animals to South Africa to restart their program. Wow. Because South Africa traditionally had a breeding program, a managed program, just like the SSP here. Um, but over the years, those animals have just aged out. And so with Europe and North America, we're going to try and get a breeding group to restart there. So 
we do a little a little bit of everything but for our for our uh, intensive purposes we're year-round so we start um, gathering the numbers on cubs born um, which used to be just June and July but now stretches May through August because you know global warming yeah uh, nothing's changing <laughs> uh, so they uh, we work with folks we have what we call the red panda hotline which is my, my cell phone because I don't have an office phone so <laughs> um, if someone needs help at 2 a.m. they can call me it's not a problem um, so we start working with them if there are animals that need to be hand raised and they're solitary we start working with other institutions to see if we can pair them up kind of like we did with Erie with us right. this year with mm -hmm. Neo and Joe um, and then we move into our breeding start getting ready for breeding season we do our master planning in August Pandas start winging across the country, and then um, come April, we make sure all the cubs that need to be moved out are moved out, and then we just kind of start all over again. So we're doing this, touching in on the population every month just to keep things swinging. Amazing. Very cool. Um, and is this all volunteer work? It is. So yeah, nice. you... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, yes. though. So I, I came into it as uh, when Miles stepped down, John Dynan at Cincinnati, who'd been involved with the program, he took it over, and I was a vice chair for Fulgens. And then when he left, I mean, there's a whole process where you apply to the what was the w, uh, PMC, WCMC, and now it's APM. They've renamed. So many letters. So many letters. Um and so I was selected to be the coordinator for Red Pandas. And then Mary Knoll, um, who is equally involved as I am, if not more so, she's my stud bookkeeper. Okay. She's, she's the brains of it. Um, she manages the databases and runs the programs. And so she's sort of the numbers person. I'm the, the nagging people person. <laughs> the, hey, we haven't got your survey back yet. Could you send that in? Thanks. Um, so... I mean, she always gets overlooked, but she likes to be overlooked because she's real quiet. Um, so, yeah, so we've had this for over 10 years, 12 years, 11 years. It's it time. Right. Amazing. Yeah. That's wow. really cool. So let me ask you, the, I, the goal here is genetic diversity, right. right? But I know that you move pandas sometimes for non-breeding purposes. And I, I've had a lot of even keepers ask me, this is the question that they want to ask Sarah Glass, <laughs> why would we move a panda who isn't moving for breeding purposes? So not every zoo wants to breed, thank God. Um, so often we we can so back in the day everything was on index cards and memory and it would take two days just to run your matrix to to see you know to get your genetics right nowadays with the software they have we can sort of predict what direction an animal might move in so um if we have an animal that's below so take a step back. So when we look at animals for breeding, we look at what the mean inbreeding coefficient is for the entire population. And then also something called mean kinship. And what mean kinship is, is how related you are in a certain point of time to every other member of the population. And that number can change dramatically. So you could be super related to everyone in the population because you've got a lot of relatives. But let's say next year, a large chunk of your older relatives die off. 
your main kinship is going to improve because there's less of your relatives out there. Right. So that's why sometimes we'll have an animal that is we say is not going to breed, and then all of a sudden their main kinship shoots up. So, and we can sometimes, well, we marry and care our PMC person who helps us. I, I just believe what they tell me. <laughs> um, if it looks like that animal is going up in the ranks, and let's say that animal is at a zoo that doesn't want to breed, we might then move that animal to another zoo. Or sometimes folks want an animal for... Um, an ambassador program, not a traditional ambassador program, but like a behind the scenes. Sure. So we want to make sure they're going to get an animal, number one, that's suited uh, behaviorally for that. And number two is probably never going to get breeding recommendations. And so sometimes we have to shuffle animals around to kind of fill those in. Okay. Or we may have made a mistake and we sent an animal to a zoo that has a very open exhibit. And they get there, and they're miserable because there's a zoo train nearby, or they're next to cranes. And so, um, we'll take them out and give them someone who doesn't care right, that there's right. trains and crowds of people. So, y'all are really studying not just the genetics, but the pandas, right. like their personalities. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Um, so, on a, a less fun subject, but I am curious mm -hmm. of, of how this impacts things, um... Every once in a while, there will be an unexpected death. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, I know um, Isla just passed up at the Toronto Zoo. And I know she was, I think, uh, somewhere in the top 10 genetically. Mm -hmm. Like, she was real important. Um, what do you guys do at that point in time? So, it depends. If it's a breeding animal, we really can't do much until the next year. Okay. Unless it's... Unless we've got one who could be a good match. Like a sibling. Let's say there's a sibling that's not matched up and we could replace it. Um, we always joke about a panda warehouse. Because people will call us up and just want to know when they can have a panda. It's like, let me just go to the warehouse and pull one out. But we do each year. Um, if there's extra, extra animals that uh, need a home they'll usually come to us. So, for example, um, Asa is still here, and Asa has not been slated to go anywhere. Um, if one of my zoos who has one animal, that animal passes away in March, and we're not due to really start moving animals again until, you know, May, I have a spare panda <laughs> that I could sure. potentially send. Um, so, it, it can... It can throw a, a wrench in because it, it's, I'm sure any, if you talk to other SSP folk, the moment you put your master plan out and it's finalized is the moment that like two or three animals are just going to die unexpectedly <laughs> and just throw the whole thing into disarray. But it's, uh, you always have to try and stay one step ahead, but they're animals. Yeah, no, it <laughs> makes sense. Stuff happens. Happen. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, cool. So... There's a common misconception outside of the zoo world that um, SSPs, or you know, just the breeding done in zoos in general, mm. is meant to be repopulating the wild, like right now, right now. And that's not the case. Yeah. But one reason we do track genetics is that if there is a chance to do some reintroductions in the wild, like you know, if we need to save the species mm -hmm. in that way, maybe we can do that. Um, does that impact what you guys do at all? Do you think through that at all? So for us. 
And yes, when SSPs first started in the 80s, it was this grand, we are going to have this whole genetic reservoir and within 50 years we're going to solve all the issues and we're going to put them all back. <laughs> and as we know, that's not happening. So it's sort of twofold, well, threefold at this point. One, we have a population of a super popular charismatic animal that we can use as a teaching tool both for the public to say, hey, you love them? Awesome. Here's this great organization called Red Panda Network. Go support them. Here's some great programs going on um, to protect the wildlife, to protect the, the region, you know, inspire people to, to get involved that way. Um, we have one little girl here who we call her Panda Girl. <laughs> Starting from the time she was three, she would come to the zoo just to visit the pandas every year. And she has started her own uh, page and fundraiser now. She's now eight or nine. And I mean, her whole thing is to save red pandas in the wild. And that's because she saw them in a zoo. Right. Um, so there's that aspect. And then also the educational aspect of what we can learn from pandas here to help a wild population. So, for example, we know that red pandas are exquisitely sensitive to distemper. And distemper is a huge problem in areas where they're from, like Nepal and India. So, we obviously want vaccines to protect our population in zoos. Those same vaccines can help animals out in the wild. Um, and then also, um, hopefully someday we can put them back. I mean, it's something that with the GSMP, uh, India, uh, PASBA, their region, is actively reintroducing animals into areas. Wow, okay. Now, does that mean that Lincoln could potentially hop on a plane and be released? No, because Lincoln wouldn't know what to do right. without his apples being cut up. I love Lincoln dearly, but uh, <laughs> but if it looks like we, if they look at our numbers and see genetics, that would be great. We could actually breed animals for that. Right. Or send animals there, be part of a breeding population there to repopulate. So it's a way to um, hope <laughs> that someday you'll be able to, to, to put them back. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, and, you know, I think that's what a lot of people miss that, that have problems with zoos, is that, yeah, they used to be, I mean, I'm not going to lie, zoos used to be explo uh, exploitative, sure. and, and, you know, they were to make money off of animals. But they are not that anymore, and, and the amount of thought and effort that goes into that is pretty darn impressive. Well, and at this point, I mean, pandas are not coming out of the wild to go into zoos. And, mo I mean, the vast majority of species are not. Right. So if you want to have them here you need to make your own. Make them judiciously. Um, I think I annoy people every single year because, you know, half of our, more than half of our institutions want to breed, but we can't do that. We need to look and see, um, if, I, if I make a panda right now, that panda needs a place to stay for up to the next 16 years. Right. Perhaps 20 years. So if everyone were to make baby pandas, we would double our population, and right now we're at capacity. We are looking for new, new spaces, um, so that we can continue to grow the population. But 
they they love me and hate me when they I send them new pandas and then I either take them away or say I'm sorry you can't make it anymore. <laughs> right, that's hilarious. Um, so how does how does transporting a panda work? Let talk me through Joe. Um, because, uh, you know, when I was down here last time, there was a little unnamed panda, um, <laughs> although you had given him a cute little name. Um, and, and now he's up at the Erie Zoo. So how did that happen? So with, um, Joe, we were lucky. What did you call Joe before he was Joe? Well, he was Nugget. Yeah. Um, he had to have a name of some sort. Well, yeah. Um, so we, uh, we were lucky enough that when Erie reached out to us that they had a singleton. And um, quite frankly, you know, we've done a lot of hand raising of other people's pandas down here, but that doesn't do the population any good if other people don't master it as well. So here, have our panda. <laughs> um, so once we started talking with them and making sure they're the proper age, because of his age, we couldn't fly him. So uh, we had somebody drive him up. We have flown with pandas before, panda cubs before, but that was in the days when you could take animals into the cabin, mm -hmm. which was the start of my career. I don't think we could ever do that again. <laughs> but for the most part, if if something's drivable, like under twelve hours, we will drive them. Okay. Um, and then other than that, they just fly like your your cat or your dog would. But it's one of the things we take into consideration when we plan our moves. Um, if you have, so let's say two males to choose from to pair with a particular female and one would have to fly 16 hours and one could just drive across the street, but isn't as good genetically, we're probably going to go with the one that you can just drive across the street. Still a good pair. Right. Better for the animal. Um, it's a matter of balancing both what's good for the individual and what's good for the population. So very cool. Have you done any either research or do you just have any anecdotal thoughts about what it's like for the panda? Obviously, you're not in its brain. And I always try to I always say, yeah, <laughs> I always say we shouldn't anthropomorphize and then immediately ask people to. But as far as like when you get to a new home, when you meet new keepers, when you meet a new panda, what is all of that like for the animal as best as you can tell? Um, it seems to be pretty individual. Um, we had a panda named Delilah here once upon a time, who came in actually for hand-raising with Lincoln. Um, and Delilah is actually... At Erie. Yes. Yes. Neo's yes. mom. Yeah, and is, is Amaya's um, uh, daughter. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I, I literally just um, two days ago hung out with Samson and got to feed him okay. a little bit. Yeah, so... Yeah, so yeah. when it's Delilah's <laughs> turn to go, and I honestly, I wish I could remember where she went first, I literally picked her up which I don't recommend doing, and put her in the crate, and she just sat in the crate and just looked out of it, ate a little bamboo, got to the airport. She just hung out. She was completely calm. Um, I've had others that are less than enthused with the idea. Um, they tend to calm down pretty quickly, but it, it seems to be a lot of it is individual. Lincoln doesn't even like going in a crate for a quick transport to the clinic. Something we've been working on with right. him. Um, but yeah, some some handle it well, some don't. If we know an animal doesn't travel well, that's something we take into consideration with um, when we do our master planning. We, we had an animal we'd actually selected to go to South Africa, just looking at the numbers, and when we spoke with the zoo that had them, they said, 
he really wouldn't do well. And we're like, okay. Right. And just took him off the table. Cool. Very cool. How much do you consider what the zoos want when you're doing this kind of thing? Oh, it's it's up there at the top. I mean, okay. when we when we do a survey, so our surveys are, um, there are some AZA software that you can use. We choose to do our own survey because we can ask more questions. Sure. So we always ask them, um, what role do they want to play? Because not everybody wants to breed. Um, breeding can be a hassle. Um, we ask them if they have animals already, what their animals are like. Do they think their animals are a good fit for their exhibit? Um, uh, do they have any... Are, are the animals getting along? Because, right. <laughs> again, not all of them get along. Mm, no, totally. And so we ask a lot of specific questions. Um, unfortunately, we can't always give everybody all that they want because um, we just, we with when it comes to breeding, we just can't give everyone breeding pairs because, again, it's just a space issue. Right, yeah. But we do try to rotate it through. So if someone's been super patient for four or five years um, and an opportunity comes up, we're going to give it to them. Or we'll try and set them up with an animal that will be a good breeder right, in a couple right. of years. So it's sort of like, hey, here's this placeholder. We've not forgotten you, I promise. <laughs> How about in the opposite direction? What if, um, say, an animal is you know, well-known at a zoo and is popular and, and moving it might make sense, but the zoo really doesn't want to, like, say, uh, um, like a Cora at Columbus. Yeah. You know, I know she's slated to move on. I don't know if I can say that or not. I can cut it if you need me to. Um, but I know she's slated to move on. And I know that she is a literal celebrity at the Columbus Zoo right now. Um, does that ever factor in at all? Or It, it does. We've had some zoos, like, well, for example, Seattle and Carson. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, they want to hold on a cart. That's fine. Mm -hmm. We can do that. Right. Um, Red River had some favorites, and that's totally fine. We'll work around it. Um, they own the animal. They know the animal well. They've built up um, a following around that particular animal, and honestly, it only helps the species as a whole. I mean, Carson has how many followers now? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. So if people love Carson, and they love Red Pandas, and... They go out and they support causes that help red pandas. Great. Carson is the reason we're here right yeah. now. Carson um, gets to be a celebrity and we all benefit from right, it. It's yeah. great. I found, I found that account, which inspired me to start doing more with my photos, which led to building a following and starting the podcast. <laughs> like, literally, I'm here now because Carson exists in Seattle. <laughs> like, it's just amazing what, what an impact that can have, mm. you know? So, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad that you guys consider that. Oh, yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I sometimes, I, I like to call the SSP my favorite thing that I hate. Because I genuinely do love it. And I genuinely believe it's important. And then we keep rearranging all your animals. Yeah, and most of the time it's fine. But I will tell you, I had, I when I was uh, at Philly one time, I was hanging out with my boy Kumbi, who was like like my special panda mm -hmm. friend. Him and Slash at uh, Elmwood Park Zoo are the ones that I spend the most time with. And um, the, the one of the keepers who, you know, knows me a little bit came up and was like, hey, he's leaving in two months. Got a breeding rack. And I was... Uh, gutted. I mean, I was literally gutted. And it ended up turning out, I guess something changed or they were confused or whatever. And Spark's the one that left. Yeah. But I went to that zoo so many more times than usual <laughs> in those two months. And I would just sit there with them and I was just like getting ready to say goodbye. And I remember one time I went and he was just, you know, inside, whatever, not, not out. And I was like, no, it happened. <laughs> and, um, and then Spark left and everything was fine. But I know that Kumbi could leave, you know, next year, whatever. And well, and often we'll, we'll give someone a choice. Like we're swapping males with, um, 
with Potter Park. Okay. And so we told Potter Park, you have a choice. You can have our female. Which one do you want? And so we let them pick. Right. So that way they could have their favorite. So we're getting Dufa, and they're getting Deacon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Deacon's a favorite here. Yeah. That one's, yeah. So is it ever hard for you to, to send them off? Or are you just so doing it now? No, I mean, not so much. Just because, I mean, if, if the system is working the way it ought to, which I think it is, um, I know they're going to a facility that likes red pandas, cares for red pandas. Um, it's such a small panda world. I mean, now, of course, with, you know, Facebook, everyone tracks all of their favorite animals everywhere. Right. And there's a great possibility that they could come back. So, I mean, in my personal dream would be to have um, a red panda retirement home here where I can bring all the little old retired pandas back to and just have just a whole back hillside of nothing but 10 plus, you know, 10-year-old plus red pandas that I don't have to worry about babies. <laughs> right, right. And just, you know, make their little soft diets and <laughs> look at their little, you know, trim their little nails for them because they've gotten too old. That would be fabulous. So a lot of times we've we've been able to bring animals back and we've done that with master planning too. If we know that somebody's got a super special one that's left to go somewhere else, and let's say it's an older, like Spark, for example. Mm -hmm. Spark's moving out because she's pretty much post-reproductive. Right. She just, and they need space to breed. So she's going to come back here. Um, but let's say Spark had been really dear to Philadelphia. I would reach out to them and say, hey, she's she's due to retire. Would, sure. would you like to have your kid back? Right, right. Um, and so that happens. Okay, cool, cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing Slash at Elmwood Park is uh, excluded because of, of some of the stuff. Um, He's also not very important. Shh, don't you say that. Yeah, there you go, genetically. I was going to say, don't you say that about my friend. No, but are um, all important, but yes, he is a lot of relatives. Uh, yeah, okay. But um, if, if you if you are looking into Kumbi, give me a call first. We need to chat. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I do think, of course, that the, the survival of the species and growing the genetics is the most important part. But um, yeah, so there are going to be days that I'm pretty mad at you, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, I've, I've gotten cussed out before. Oh, sure. through People make comments and stuff. I'm like, it's... <sighs> but I got you something cute. In Kansas City, bless their hearts, they had, I don't know five animals and I left him with one but it had to be done yeah no of course, of course. <laughs> it definitely so has to be done I had that conversation with Sid I'm like I promise I'll bring you some more stuff um, so yeah we always we always try and if we're taking away something that's favorite going here's a super cute fluffy cub can <laughs> you take this in return the cubs are kind of ridiculous yeah. yeah um very cool very cool so uh, would it be possible to head back up to the panda building sure. just on the outside? And then what I'd like to do for the rest of the interview is literally have you talk me through your panda personalities sure. quick. Is that cool? Sure. Great. Let's do that. We have our breeding pair. We have Deegan. That's his favorite spot up in the back there. Um, he is a very gentlemanly red panda with very good manners that came to us from Mill Mountain. Okay. Am I right with that? That could be wrong. Um, <laughs> Sam Evans loves him dearly. Um, oh, and like a chipmunk, too. Oh, awesome. It's like a whole Disney <laughs> princess story going on in the Red Panda exhibit today. Um, so he is going to be going to Potter Park 
to pair with their female, and okay. he's he is the perfect panda gentleman. So he lets the female sit where she wants to, have first choice of food. He's got very good manners, and he's highly food motivated. So he's also our sign puller for proposals and weddings now. Nice. So that's been fun. Um, Gansu, um, she came to us from Brandywine. Um, she is almost the perfect mother, except she doesn't produce enough milk, which is why we've had to hand raise the last two years. So after extensive supplement feeding efforts, um, she's a little shy, not as keen on food stuff, um, tends to be a little feisty when it comes to Deegan getting in her way. But other than that, she's, she's a pretty laid back, mellow panda. Cool. All right. All right. Move on to the next one. Uh. So let's see. In here, we have three of the cubs that were all, I mean, call them cubs, but they're year and a half old. Um, we have Marvin, who came to us from Idaho Falls, Topless. And he is a ham. I'm not sure if he'll... He's never going to be a panda of grace and poise. <laughs> <laughs> and then next to him is... Tia is her official name. Um, we called her Linda. It took a long time for her name to be chosen. So for six months, she was Linda. So sometimes... We just call her Talinda. Um, <laughs> but they have been together since, oh gosh, a um, couple months old. And they are going to be a pair. Turned okay. out it was really nice that they're actually a beautiful pair. They get along. We don't really see any, um, we don't really see a sibling effect when okay. they're raised together. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and Tapas wanted him back. So he gets to go back and she gets to go with him. And someday we will make it happen because, Lord mercy, I'm going to just rent a jet and do it myself. <laughs> um, it's been it's been crazy. And then we have Asa, who came from Cleveland. Um, she's always been much more standoffish, um, a little shy. She's a little more high-strung. Um, at some point, she will get breeding wrecks, but for now, um, she's going to stay here, and we're going to bring, when Spark comes back, she'll pair up with Spark just, and hopefully they get along. If they don't, then we'll probably put Spark with Lincoln, because Spark should be post-reproductive. So, hi, Marvin. He's, he's, he'll never be anything but goofy. And is Marvin the one that's the whiter of the two, or is that... No, he's the darker. Oh, okay. He is so, the darker. Yeah. Okay. Yep. okay. He, he takes after his dad, whose name was Winston, whose real name was Mr. Broccoli. <laughs> um, and he was born here. Okay. And then who was his mom? Oh, it was either Kumari or Akali. I think it was Kumari. Okay. They're sisters. We kept swapping... Um, the male between the pairs, because at the time we had Chewbacca, and Chewbacca was never successful with any of the females because he was, um, or Sebastian, I'm sorry, Sebastian was not, he was not nice gotcha. to the ladies. <laughs> That's unfortunate. I know, right? Of course, that meant he was the most important male because he never bred. <laughs> um, then we have Lincoln, who's curled up up there. 
So Lincoln was born at the Lincoln Children's Zoo in Lincoln, Nebraska. I love and it there. He was sent here to Peoria with Delilah and Julie. And that was the year we didn't have any to hand raise, but there were three individual zoos who all just said, here. And so we got them in. That and, was your Red Panda Kindergarten, right? Yep, that was the original kindergarten. Okay. And then uh, they, Julie and, and uh, Delilah moved on and he was actually supposed to go to one of our AZO zoos down in Mexico, but after two permit tries, we could get the permit was fine. Uh, the vets couldn't decide on proper vaccination requirements. Part of the problem being the vaccine that we use with red pandas is modified. Okay. We can't give them just a straight up rabies or December vaccine. We'll give it to them. Gotcha. And some countries are a little uh, more leery of modified vaccines because this is something that's run through a canary pox vector. So it's, it's a little Frankenstein-y. Um, it's super effective, but um, and I don't blame people for looking askance at, <laughs> what, what are you doing with that? Um, so it never happened. So finally, after the second round, we just went ahead and stopped because it was, and just said, and here he shall stay. And he's your special boy. Yeah, he's special. He's a, uh, he loves uh, Laura, who's one of my keepers. Me, not so much, but that's okay. <laughs> I still like him. He's very handsome. And he doesn't mind being here. And, I mean, we have construction happening, what is that, 10 feet? Yeah, yeah, not even. To his yeah. right. And, I mean, he just sleeps and, and watches them. The only thing he doesn't like is when the crane is over his head. But. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I was, I was actually, um, I've been working on some stuff here mm -hmm. since I met with Tiffany earlier and then met with you and I had some downtime. So I just sat on the bench hanging out with Lincoln. And um, I noticed even when things got super loud, he would occasionally like look over like, you guys are loud, eh, and go back yeah. to sleep or eat comfortably. Like, he's fine. Yeah. yeah that's he's, very cool. If he can see what's happening, he's great. Gotcha. So no, he's he's been a rock star through all this. Awesome. Which has been the one tiny bright spot of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then the very last thing is just the, uh, the Ross Safari poop story. Oh, let's see. You would think I'd have more disgusting stories over, but... Once upon a time when I was a baby keeper, um, I was doing my master's work on something not terribly exciting, but on how visitors retain knowledge. Okay. And so we would set up at the various exhibits and we would have, um, this is before the days of ooh encounters and interpretation because, you know, I'm old. <laughs> so we would have someone stand out there and give some facts about the animal and then someone would waylay them further down the path and see what kind of fact they um, remembered. And at the time we had a mixed group of drills and mandrills and all the females, cause they had never bred had the most uncomfortable giant swells you've ever seen in your life. And I remember one little old lady came over to me one day after we had talked and she said, I just, I just have a question for you. Those things on their backsides, would those be hemorrhoids? I was like, well, no ma'am. And I, tried to explain because well I was just wondering because I just have the worst case of hemorrhoids right now <laughs> and I just really want to know what you did for them to see if we guess like, thank you ever so much <laughs> I wasn't really sure what to do but I just said oh, oh cousin just thank you for your time and whoop 
<laughs> up the hill I went. But And that's why y'all are lucky to have your little keys to get into buildings yep. and get away from I was people. Like, oh, someone's calling me on the radio. I've got to go. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, that was a lot of fun for me, and I hope for you as well. Also, really informative. Sarah really knows her stuff. I just... Uh, it was very cool to get to interview someone who was a bit of a hero to me. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and it's really fun that we've become friends now and I get to comment on stupid Facebook posts and make her laugh and vice versa. It's uh, This podcast has been pretty good to me. So, Sarah, thank you for, for all of that. Um, you guys can check out zooknoxville.org or at zooknoxville on the socials. And if you want to learn more about the SSP, you can check out the Association of Zoos and Aquariums at aza.org. And of course, since Sarah mentioned them and since I never stop mentioning them, check out the Red Panda Network at redpandanetwork.org. Now it's time to listen to me talk over a song. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.